to the book of Hebrews, and the book of Hebrews is a is a great, great uh, book. It is, um, there's a lot going on, and we've talked about the first chapter, uh, you know, a lot of uh, just kind of leaning into it about what, how the, the, it is, the, the book is titled Hebrews for a reason, because it was written to the Hebrews, all right? I talked a little bit about this, and these were people that were, were believers, but they were they were leaning back into uh, Hebrew worship, and so they were kind of going back, and um, and they were being tempted to go back to their old ways of Judaism, and and the whole dilemma in the book of Hebrews is that very thing: going back to where they came from. Um, they had been converted, and they had grown up as Jews, and and something about when they would hear the sound of the of the temple trumpets, and they smelled the incense, and they heard the swishing of the priest's robes. Memories and traditions tugged on their hearts. And was beginning to pull them back. So what can we learn from the book of Hebrews, all right? Um, I'll, I'll say this. Traditions are great, all right? There's nothing wrong with traditions. But can I tell you something? Traditions will never take the place of God's grace uh, and love in your life. Never. And uh, you cannot work your way to heaven. You can't. There's nothing that you can do uh, in this life to get yourself to. It's only Ephesians 2 8 tells us it's by grace that you have been saved, all right? It's not by your works. You can't even boast about it because God's been so good to you, that's why you're saved. No other reason. Not because you're good, but because He is good, amen? And so, uh, you know, and, and not all traditions are, are terrible, you know. Um, there's nothing wrong, you know, uh, with traditions. You know, you can say this. You know, you you should, you know, some of you may say this. Pastor, you should be wearing a three-piece suit on Sundays. You might be saying that, but that's a tradition, you know. And, and there's nothing wrong with dressing nice. Nothing wrong with dressing nice. But let me tell you something. That does not make you more saved than the grace of God has already given you. Amen? And I'm not, I'm not going to uh, get on a tradition kick or preach on clothesline or anything like that. Listen, if you want to wear a three-piece suit to church, wear it. You'll look good, all right? And you'll look great. And that's all good. But let me tell you something. It is the grace of God, the love of God, and the truth of God. And that's the reason that you are saved, okay? And so uh, while I believe that those things are important, there's nothing wrong with those. And I, I think even in the American church sometimes... We lean into our traditions here in America. You say, well, I don't know if we have those, but we do have those traditions. Let me tell you why. Um, you know, I've had the privilege of going on a couple missions trips, and not everything that we do here in America works with what's happening in Guatemala or in Brazil or in Africa because they have different perspectives. They have different cultures than we do. And so uh, we have to understand that, you know, what I've learned going from place to place is this. The same Jesus Christ that saves me here is the same Jesus Christ that saves me there. And it's not based on man's traditions or the way that we do things. God does things differently in different places. Amen. Come on. And so, But it's all about Jesus and his grace and his forgiveness and love and truth. So, uh, you know, I like to say this, and you've heard me say this a lot. Keep the main thing the main thing. It's all about Jesus, all right? And so uh, make it make it about him. We ought to be careful and we ought to be prayerful not to let uh, certain traditions in our lives and things. And, and this book is written to the Hebrews because they were wanting to go back to their traditions. You know what happens when we uh, get to a place and, and there's a little discomfort in our life? We always we go back to what is comfortable. Come on, somebody, right? We rarely will run to what challenges us, but we'll go back to what is comfortable to us. And so, um, and listen to me, there are some things, there are some traditions and some things that I think they have their rightful place and all that, but they need to, to make sure that we, we have our, our hearts right. It's, it's the grace of God and that only. So um, picking up from chapter 1, we continue the discussion, and, and there's a lot of discussion on angels in, in Hebrews chapter 1. And the Hebrews really held angels at very high regard, okay? And so we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. If you need a subheading here, um, this, the first portion of this scripture, I believe the first five uh, verses deal with this. Warning against neglecting salvation. There's a warning against neglecting salvation. Um, you know, salvation is given to us freely. We have this choice to accept it or not accept it, right? 
Not everyone accepts it. How do I know that? Because the, the, uh, the, the story of the, the sower of the seed, some seed lands on good soil. That's people that accept it. Some lands on hard soil, and they don't accept. Some lands on the path, right, and the birds come in. So, uh, so we have to understand that there is a risk at times in our lives that, uh, that we can run from this. And so look at this. Verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 says this. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we what? Lest we what? Lest we drift away from it. Um, pay attention. That means there's something important here, right? We, we learn in grade school, uh, and, and we teach this to our parents. Hey, pay attention because how many of you, uh, I know Sarah's a teacher, but sometimes you say, hey, pay attention because this may be on the test. What they're saying is this is going to be on the test. But sometimes kids, they, they don't even, they aren't even thinking about it. They don't even worry about writing it down or knowing the information. Pay attention, Johnny. Right? And, and this, this right here is telling us, hey, pay attention here be, or you'll be left behind. Right? Uh, the writer uses this, uh, he uses nautical terms of drifting away. Anybody ever been in a canoe or a boat? Uh, and, you know, I've done that. Been in my um, kayak and tried to fish. You get to a place, I really want to fish from this spot, and I didn't have an anchor. And what does the wind do? It begins to push you and drift you, and you know, in all different directions. Before I know it, I'm turned around, right? Come on, somebody know what I'm talking about? Am I the only person that does that? All right. Uh, and, and you're drifting, and, and so we have to be careful that we don't drift. So this tells us that drift can happen in our spiritual lives. And listen to me, sometimes it's unintentional, and sometimes it's, it's just, uh, you know, we're not intending to drift, but it's just... Uh, we're, we're not maybe as grounded as we need to be or we're not as invested as we need to be. And here's what happens. When we drift, we get further and further and further from the truth, little by little. Uh, there's this old statement that some of, uh, some of the uh, older saints may know in the, in the house. They used to say it a lot. It's called backsliding. Come on, anybody ever heard that term, backsliding? Um, it, it, you know, and, and drifting, getting away. Drift happens in our lives when we don't pay attention to the things that we have heard and we know. That's what happens. You say, well, I'm, I'm, I've been saved a long time. Drift can still happen in your life. And so I love this. The writer here, he, he's encouraging us and saying, uh, you know, watch yourself. Be careful here. Faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing what? The word of God. And and I like this. You know, it's not just hearing it because a lot of people hear a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that you could hear, right? There's a lot of messages you could hear all over the Internet. There's all kinds of podcasts. There's all kinds of things all over the place. And you can hear a lot of things. But listen to me. Application is different than hearing something. You want to build your faith, yes, you hear, right? Faith comes by hearing. It's going to build my faith. But what that should make me do is make me want to apply those things to my life. And when you begin to have application with hearing the word of God, guess what? You begin to see the truth. You begin to seek the truth. You begin to find the truth. And listen, it keeps us from drifting. So, um, you know, um, I've seen it as a pastor and being raised in church in my life. People, uh, you know, I've seen them come to Christ and get fired up for, for God. I love baby Christians. How many love baby Christians? They're my favorite to be around because they are on fire. They're ready to take on hell with a squirt gun. It's like they are running and like, let's go, right? And they're ready, and there is nothing that can stop them. But I've seen people who are so on fire for God, and then I've watched them slowly drift from, from the truth and slowly get away, and then there's less of a priority in their life to, to serve the Lord. There's less time spent in the Bible. Come on, there's less time going to church. Come on, somebody. I'm busy now, and I've got this, and come on now. I know I'm not coming down and sitting right where you're at right now, but, but, but there's, there's sometimes that happens. And remember this, remember this, John 14, 6, and you heard me preach about this, uh, you know, recently. Jesus is the truth. You want to keep from drifting, keep your eyes on Jesus Christ, and he will lead and guide you. So how do you go from being uh, uh, on, on fire for God to, to leaving the faith? You, you drift from the truth. You, you, you run away. I, I've got a very good friend of mine. He called me recently, and I love him to death. He's my best friend from high school. 
but he 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 had a call of God on his life and re- really was was in church was was called to do great things could had a could get up here and speak and do amazing things but he began to drift away from the truth and today we're two different places right now I'm pastoring the church and and he I, I love him to death, but he is way over in, in, in the field, just a little different, all right? And, and, but that's but I know that God's got a plan for him. I know God's working on his heart. Come on. You ought to pray for people like that. I pray for him all the time. So look at this. Verse 2 says this. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just uh, retribution. So um, the Hebrew audience that would read this, they would understand that. First bit of scripture because uh, they believed and they understood that, and I talked about this a couple weeks ago, Deuteronomy 33, two, uh, scripture tells us that uh, the angels of the Lord brought uh, to Moses the law, the Ten Commandments, brought them down to him. And, and so they they believe that. So they have this high uh, authority of angels. So they say, man, if they, if they could bring the message declared by angels to be reliable, how much more reliable is the message that Jesus Christ has given us through his word? Amen. So the Hebrews would say the law is reliable. It, it proved to be correct. So the writer is this. He's pointing out that if, if it is wrong or there are or were consequences for disobeying the Old Testament law, um, which could only illustrate salvation through symbolism and a foreshadowing, right? The law, it points us to Christ, right? It, it's, it's not a, it's not an end-all, be-all, but what Jesus Christ did on the cross is the, is the perfect sacrifice for our sins, right? It is finished is what Jesus said. And so if the Old Testament could illustrate that it's just symbolism or, or a shadow of what could be done, how much greater will the consequences of refusing salvation by Jesus Christ and the gospel will be. Think about that for a moment. You deny the Ten Commandments, and, and, and the writer's saying this to the Hebrews. Hey, if you, if you deny the Ten Commandments and that's bad, think how much greater it is to deny Jesus Christ and his salvation to you. Breaking the law is transgression. Refusing to fulfill the law is disobedience. Let me say that again. Breaking the law is transgression. Refusing to fulfill the law is disobedience. But here's what I know. Both actions result in punishment of death. That is their reward. What are you saying, Pastor? The wages of sin is that's it. That's, that's what they lead to. That, the Ten Commandments show me that I cannot be a perfect person because I failed at them. If you failed at one of the Ten Commandments, raise your hand. All right. That, and we can't. We can't reach that. We can't reach that, but because of what Jesus Christ did, because he was the perfect sacrifice. Listen, uh, man, we, he is, our, he, we, he is our, the propitiation for our sin. He paid the price for our sins. He was the perfect spotless lamb. And because of him, guess what? I can come boldly before the throne of glory. Look at this. Verse 3 says this. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So how can, we, how can we escape the severe consequences of breaking the law if we refuse the salvation offered by Jesus Christ? You say, well, you know, and, and people refuse Christ all the time. They do. Um, have you ever witnessed to someone and they're just like, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to talk to you right now. Anybody ever done that? You know what that is? That's the refusal to hear the message of Jesus Christ. And Christ said this, don't take it as an offense when somebody does that. They're neglecting the gospel, not you. And so we have to understand that. And so, uh, so, it's, so he, he is higher and, than, and greater than the angels. Amen? Amen. That's a, and, and only Jesus, only Jesus is Jesus. That's it. Only, only he can fill his shoes. You know, I love John the Baptist. He's like, you know, he, when he's the forerunner for Jesus, he said, you know, I, I'm, I'm here. And he goes, you know what? I baptize in water, but the one that's coming is going to baptize you in fire. And I can't even hold his sandals. And he is, he is telling us that Jesus, hey, he is the Messiah. He is the one. So God has, has got a way, and there's this old song, and it, it goes like this. God's got a way that you, that you can't get around it. God's got a way that you can't get over it. God's got a way that you can't get under it. You must come in at the door. And that's it. 
John 14, 6, I'll say it again. Jesus is the way. Not only is he the truth, but he is the way. Amen. So it, it was declared at, at verse, uh, the next part of this verse says, it was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness. So this bit of scripture is a clue that the writer of this book, and I talked about this a couple weeks ago, we don't know exactly who the writer is. I gave you some, some possibilities. It could be uh, the Apostle Luke. It's got some of some things like that. It could be uh, the uh, Barnabas. It could be uh, 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 Apollos. It could be uh, possibly even Paul. But whoever it is, they knew Greek really good, and they knew the Old Testament really good. So, um, But it, it, it says this bit of scripture because it's a clue that the writer of this book was not an eyewitness to hear Christ preach. Okay? So there, there's a little bit of that. So he's saying that it was declared first by the Lord, and it was attested by those who heard. Okay? So... Uh, and so we know, but, but he believes that the eyewitnesses who heard the words of Christ during their earthly testimony and, and earthly ministry. So all the apostles that heard Jesus speak, guess what? This writer is saying, hey, they were right. How many know somebody that, that you trust, right? Uh, you, somebody that if they told you something, you'd be like, they are telling the truth, right? So that's what he is saying here. Hey, those apostles... They didn't die for no reason. They died because they believed what they believed. Also, God bore witness to those who came after Jesus. You know, pe people like Peter, people like James, people like John and Andrew. They spread the gospel and they kept going into further and further regions. Look at this, verse 4. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles. So God bore witness um, by signs and wonders, right? All right, we're gonna we're gonna we're on camp here for a minute. Signs and wonders uh, refers to miracles performed by the Holy Spirit. Okay, through people, people do not perform miracles. The Holy Spirit performs miracles through people. Okay, let me say that again. People do not perform miracles. The Holy Spirit uh, performs miracles through people, um, and so we we have to understand that. So. Uh, whether it be the apostles or whoever. So while these men were spreading the gospel evangelistically, guess what? These miracles followed them. Okay? They're out spreading the gospel. Miracles are happening around them. Pretty amazing, right? Um, and I believe, listen to me, I believe that this is the way it's supposed to be and still can be. But there's this uh, watering down sometimes of, of signs and miracles. I mean... I mean, you can go on the Internet and look up signs and miracles, and you'll find a hundreds of preachers who say, you know, we're going to have this event with signs and wonders, right? And, and listen, I, I don't want to negate that. I don't want to throw a wet blanket on that. But listen to me. The, the, the reason that I believe that the apostles had all these signs and miracles following is because, number one, first, they were more concerned about winning souls than they were about signs and wonders. Now, that's good teaching right there. The Lord cares about souls more than he does. But here's what, what happens to us. So uh, why don't we see a greater measure of signs and wonders? Well, maybe because we've lost the heart of the Great Commission. I want signs and wonders for me, but I don't care who is going down Highway 37 right now and on their way to hell. I mean, that's, just, that's really, I mean, in essence, kind of what, uh, to evangelize. What is the Great Commission? To evangelize, to tell people about Jesus. Mark, Mark 16, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, and these signs shall follow. In my name, you will cast out demons. All right? Uh, speak with new tongues and heal the sick. Who is Jesus talking to there? Not, not those who are gathering in snake-handling churches right now. Right? Come on. You guys have seen them, right? And they're handling snakes and think, you don't go to one of those wacky churches. I promise you that's the craziest thing. I hate snakes. And 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 so here's what we know. He he you know, people that are dealing with with uh with poison and snake bites and they're casting out demons, healing sickness are linked to people who are on the mission field evangelistically, who are reaching people, who are touching lives. You want to see miracles in your life? You want to see God do something through you? Start spreading the gospel right where you are at. 
You know what amazes me? Like when we went up and we were handing out bags for the homeless, and you begin to pray for people, and you can watch God do amazing things. You know why? Because we're touching, we're touching things, and God will do the miraculous. Are you saying, Pastor, the miraculous doesn't things don't happen in church? No, I'm not saying that at all. But I'm just saying our priority gets messed up, and we're more concerned about signs and wonders for us than we are about souls who are perishing and going to hell. And that's backwards. We've got to get an urgency to love people and to, to uh, help them. So how do I know? You say, well, pastor, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. Well, how do I know this is the correct application? Well, look at the book of Acts. Look at the book of Acts. What do they do? They go out and preach the gospel. Signs and miracles follow them. That's it. It's not, hey, we're going to go do signs and miracles and hope that people come to know Jesus. No, it's the other way around. And so we, we have to understand that. And so the book of Acts is perfect. And on the front lines, all of these apostles and these people are preaching, and they're on the front lines. And guess what? They're not in meetings full of Christians where it's all safe, but they're out on the street risking their life, telling people about Jesus, some of them losing their life for the sake of the gospel. As they were in the streets, God blessed their endeavors. Amen? Uh, think about this. Peter was taken out of prison by an angel. How cool of a miracle is that? He's in prison. They're praying for him. Angel of the Lord shows up. Come on, let's just go on out of here and takes him right up to the house where they're praying for him. They knock on the door. Peter knocks on the door, right? They come in and they're like, whew, there's Peter right here. That's, that's, that's a miracle, right? That's signs and wonders. And so uh, we begin to think about that. And, and what about Paul, you know, when he's at Malta? And, and, you know, he's, he gets bit by the snake. What does he do? He, the poison snake, he shakes it off in the fire. And they're amazed that he doesn't die because, guess what, he is out preaching the gospel. Yeah, he was on a ship full of prisoners on his way to Rome, but he was still loving on people and telling people about Jesus on the way. So I, I, I think that we're guilty of chasing miracles instead of just evangelizing and living them out. I, I'm being honest. I'm being honest, and I think if we're not careful, I think if we're not careful, we'll, we'll miscarry something here. Signs will follow them. Jesus said this, signs will follow them not to follow the signs. All right, moving on. And by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So this lines up with what Paul's teaching was uh, on the Holy Spirit according to. Uh, to his will as he wishes, 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says this, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The Holy Spirit gives some gifts to some people and not others. It's, it's according to him. So, all right, here's a second subheading right here, the founder of salvation, verse 5, here we go. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. So the writer goes back to the theme of chapter 1 here, and he's saying this. Jesus is superior to angels, all right? Jesus is superior to angels, amen? Jesus is superior to angels. <laughs> you got to get that in your head. So which, which one of the angels is going to be in charge of the world? None of them. None of them. None of them are. That, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 3 says this. Do you know uh, that we are to judge angels? Did you know that? At, at some point, you're going to judge the works of angels? How many knew that? <laughs> well, that's amazing, right? We will judge the angels. So, so, so what am I saying? Don't exalt them in any way. Only exalt Jesus. He's superior to the angels. We know that, right? All right, verse 6. It has been testified somewhere, that, uh, what is man, come on, that you are mindful of him, or the son of man, that you care for him. In, in Psalm chapter 8, this is just a uh, repeat of Psalm chapter 8, from which the writer quotes David, David is saying this, when I consider the sun, when I consider the moon, when I consider the stars, and the work of your hands, that is, that is man, I can't believe that you're even mindful of him. Have you ever thought about that? That the God of the universe loves you. He knows you. He knows what you like. He knows what you don't like. He knows your favorite color. Come on, he knows the number of hair on your head. Easier for people like me. Right? And that's, that's okay. 
He is mindful of me. What, what is it, Lord, that, that you would even be mindful of me? Think about this. Seven, what, 7.5 billion people on, on the earth right now. Uh, almost 8 billion people on the earth right now. Think about this. That God is mindful of you and he knows you. That blows my mind. Uh, perhaps when David was watching sheep, he looked up. And I don't know. Maybe he looked up at the stars. He looked up at the cosmos. And he looked up and he thought, man, when I see all of this, I can't believe that God would care about somebody like me out here watching sheep right now. You ever feel that way? You ever feel small? Uh, I, I, you know, I've, I've climbed some mountains in my day. And when you get to the top of a mountain and you're high in the mountains, and you can look out, you could see the valley, you realize, I'm a pretty small piece of this world. Have you ever been at the rim of the Grand Canyon and go, I am really small compared to this big hole in the ground? Have you ever thought, have you ever been in the big city or, you know, you've been in, in the city somewhere and people are everywhere and you thought, I am very insignificant right now because there's millions of people around me right now. And it's, it amazes me and, uh, that God would even consider us, that he would even look down and say, ha, I know them, I love them, I died for them, I care for them. When I consider how big this world is and see millions of people, I really think, man, who am I, God, that you're mindful of me? You'd even care about me. I, I love that. Verse 7 says this, you made him uh, for a little while lower than the angels, talking about Jesus. You, he, he brought him down as, as man, so... Uh, uh, and you have crowned him with what? And what? Putting everything in subjection under what? Ooh, that means that every trial you're going through, Jesus already beat it. Just, that's what that means. It's under his feet. Come on now. I love that. So God has not only put the word, uh, 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 the world, or the word of, uh, of and he, he speaks his word, and, and the sun appears, and the moon appears, and, and the stars, and the works of his hands in subjection to man. But in other words, man was given an awesome cosmic responsibility for what happened to us, right? I'll, I'll take you back here. Crowned with glory. We were crowned with, with glory, given fabulous responsibility and endless opportunity in the Garden of Eden. You know, Adam and Eve, they had it, right? Perfect world. All you got to do is take care of, of, of the animals. You get to name them. You get to do all you. And they are subject to you. Lion, you know, would lay next to the lamb, and they had everything that they need. Crowned with glory and given fabulous responsibility. Endless opportunity in the Garden of Eden. Man simply did this. Blew it. You guys blew it big time, right? How many have ever blown it big time? You really made a mistake, and you thought, oh, I made a terrible mistake here. This is bad news, right, at work or whatever the case. Thus, the world in which man was given dominion was turned over to the one who tricked them, right? Turned over to the world. So, so you say, well, there's a lot of bad things that happen in the world. Why is there war? Why, why are people uh, raped? Why, why is there disease? Because in, in a very real sense, Satan is presently in charge of this world. Now, God is sovereign. God doesn't let anything happen in this world that, that he doesn't want to happen or allow to happen. But listen, the, the devil comes in and he's trying to destroy. He's trying to weaken us, right? So, but Jesus is coming back one day. Amen? Do you believe that? And this is what Jesus, when he comes back, he's going to come back and get what he purchased and say, no, nah, devil, this is mine. This is mine. And God is going to judge accordingly and get back what is his. So, and, and you know, Jesus purchased us with his own blood. I've been, I've been listening to this song about the blood all day, all day. I've been listening to this song uh, all day about the blood. And, and I'm telling you, I'm so glad for the blood of Jesus Christ. He purchased us. And here's what the devil is. The devil is this. He is nothing more than a squatter. I'm in charge of this world right now. I'm squatting. I'm not really sovereign, but I'm squatting here, and I'm going to do all the bad, bad things. I, I don't know. Some of you, may, I've never experienced this, but I know some people have that maybe you're a landlord, and you have property, and you ever had somebody that wasn't paying their rent. You're trying to get out. You're trying to, but they're squatting, and, and you're like, get, get out. You 
because you're not paying, right? Do what's right. But they're like, no, I'm going to squat. I'm just going to stay here until, you know. And you know that and right now in California, landlords are battling with, with people's rights who are squatting in their property that have more right than what they have. It, it doesn't even make sense, you know, our world's so messed up, right? And, and these people are destroying homes that these landlords own. And that's exactly what is happening right now with the devil. He is squatting in this world, and he is, he's causing disease, and he's causing confusion, and he's causing depression and anxiety and, and an identity crisis in this generation. Come on, somebody. An identity crisis in this generation that needs to know who Jesus Christ created them to be. Amen? So, so... Satan is in this world, he's destroying it, he's tearing it down, and he's, he's causing hell on earth. But Jesus is coming back one day, right? Not the Terminator, but Jesus is coming back one day. Come on now. And he's going to come down the Mount of Olives, and he's going to come with a scepter in his hand. And it's going to be a beautiful thing. Amen? So why is it, why is it bad? Don't blame, don't blame the Father. Blame man. Blame the devil. It was man who blew it. So we, we turned this world over to the enemy, yet we still watch, yet we still watch his junk on our TVs. Come on, somebody. Yet we still listen to his songs. Come on, somebody. Yet we still get involved in culture things that are not good. Come on, somebody, right? Oh, Pastor, you're getting down to where I'm at right now. 1 John 1, 5, the second part of that verse says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Stop flirting with the world. Listen to me. We're at a time, we're at a pivotal time. I believe we're at a pivotal time. There are so many things happening in this world so fast. And men are turning away from uh, from God. They're, they're becoming lovers of themselves. Come on, right? Come on, man. Men, they, it's all about them. It's all about their feelings. Truth is relative, right? And, and there's no right or wrong. It's, but it's, everything's based on feelings, right? But here, this is what I know is, is this, that God is light and there is no darkness in him. So stop trying to flirt, have one foot in the world and one foot with God because you won't last. We have to walk in the light as he is in the light. Amen? We have to fellowship him and we have to fellowship with others. So, Lord... Let us be the people of light and not of darkness. The next part of that verse says this. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see. So the first Adam blew it, right? First Adam blew it. Adam and Eve, they blew it. And, and, uh, and all of us followed in their footsteps. Guess what? It's, we're, we're born into this. We're, our nature is that way. And then Jesus comes, which we call him in Scripture the last Adam or the second Adam to come, Jesus Christ. And what do we see with Jesus? All right, check this out. Think about this. Think about how the dominion that Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden, they, they had everything was under subjection to them. But look what Jesus does. When he comes, guess what? When he's out on the sea, he said to the wind, hey, be muzzled or peace, be still. Stop. Right? And what did, what, did, uh, what did the disciples do? They were like, look at this. Even the winds obey him. Who is this man, right? That, 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 and then he's like, waves, be still. And the sea stopped, and it was glassy, and it was beautiful. Mark 4.39. And then in Mark 1.13, it says, beast, be at rest. And they lay down next to him. That right there is the authority. If you want to see how the earth was supposed to be, look at the life of Jesus Christ, and you'll see man living in harmony with the Father, exercising authority over nature. Look at this. Next part of that says, him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Anything that you want to know about the way uh, of man was created to be in the beginning, you can look at the life of Jesus Christ and realize that it lines up with what, what was supposed to be. Lived a perfect life. The first Adam blew it. Jesus was the second Adam, the perfect one. And he demonstrates to us the way humanity should have been. All right. Him for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death 
for everyone. This is, this is beautiful, beautiful. I love this verse. I'll tell you why. Uh, there's a reference here. It's made to the Old Testament here. In some of the older kingdoms, there was this person that was called, uh, they were a cupbearer, right? And the cupbearer, what was their job? Was to come in and when the king was going to drink something and be like, hey, you get to drink this first just in case there's some poison in this or somebody internally is trying to kill the king. You are the person that gets to drink this first. Now, how many would sign up for that job? I didn't think there would be very many. And, and, and so in the Old Testament, when the king was going to drink something, they would come in and they would take a sip of it first. Thank God I was never a king because I would have been thirsty all the time because I couldn't drink after people. But, 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 but this is what happens. <laughs> Thank God that I'm not a king. This is what happens. Jesus comes in and he is the cupbearer for us. I'm, I'm going to drink this cup. I'm, I'm going to take this cup. I'm Remember, he prayed this in the garden in Matthew 26, 39, and, and, and going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup, what, pass from me. And I love this statement, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Lord, I don't want to drink this cup because I know what's about to happen. Lord, I'm, I, I'm struggling with this, but I will submit to your will. Why? Because he looked down one day and he saw Jeff Francisco and knew he was going to need a Savior. And he saw Katie and knew that she was going to need a Savior. And he saw a pastor and said, that guy really needs a Savior. How many are grateful that, that Christ, Christ did that? Going, going a little further, Jesus always does the extra for those he loves. Amen? I love that. He could have he stopped at that moment and called down angels and said, I don't want to do this and walked away, right? We would still be lost in this world. But he didn't do that. No, no, no. Ne nevertheless, Jesus never does the less. He always does the more. He always does above and beyond. He loves you so much. He thought you were worth dying for. Amen. And I'm so glad that he still invites those who would come. He's always inviting them. Come, come, come be in a relationship with, with the Father through me. Verse 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So the Lord uh, doesn't tell us this. He doesn't say, hey, good luck on your journey. Ha uh, have fun. Uh, don't do anything that I wouldn't do. See you later, right? Some of you parents, you know, you may have experienced that with your kids. All right. Hey, you're 20. Hey, good luck in your life. Don't do anything I would do. Send them on. No, the Lord doesn't do that with it. He doesn't just push us out of the way. No, the Lord could say this. I've marched on those same roads that you're going down. I've dealt with the same temptation that you're dealing with. I was betrayed like you were betrayed. I was left alone by my friends like you've been left alone. I've, I've dealt with those things. I, I can understand. And, that, and that's what it means to be made perfect through suffering. So Jesus was always perfect. Amen. But in the fact that he suffered like us makes him the perfect captain for us. Why? Because he knows exactly what we're going through. Jesus knows all about our troubles, right? You know that old song, No, Not One? Jesus knows all about. You know how he knows about our troubles? Because he's did them. He's been here. He's existed as, as a human being. He understands. I'm so glad that I have a God that understands my nature. Amen? He understands my, 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 my weakness at times and says, I've been there. But listen, you can do it. You can overcome this. Verse 11 says this, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why uh, he is not ashamed to call them brothers. I like this bit of verse. Um, we can be one with Jesus, not because of anything we have achieved, but because uh, he is chose to identify with us. Listen, I understand what you're thinking. I I love you. I, I know about you. John 20, verse 17, Jesus tells Mary Magdalene, you know, he says, don't cling to me, because, uh, but go and tell my brothers that I'm ascending to my father and your father. What does Jesus call the disciples? His what? His bros. His bros. You know that he calls you 
his brothers and his sisters. He identifies, he understands that we are the brothers and sisters. I love that. It's such a great thing. Uh, I'm ascending to my father and whose father? He says, I'm ascending to my father and your father. I love that. He, he calls us brothers and sisters, and that is a close relationship through him to the Father. Verse 12 says this, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. Everyone say brothers. Everyone say sisters. In the midst of congregation, I will sing your praises. I like this little bit of verse too. Psalm 22. And I, on Good Friday, I, I broke this down, but it's quoted here, and it describes the agony of the righteous sufferer, which is, and Psalm 22 is a messianic psalm that points to Jesus Christ and the cross. It's beautiful. You ought to go back and read it every once in a while. It's very powerful. And in this psalm, the Messiah refers uh, to, you know, my brother or, or slash, you know, sisters, because I know we're not all bros in here, right? Brothers and sisters. Or, you know, if you have an older translation, it may say brethren. All right, that's everybody, all right, brethren. And so identifying himself with all those who place their faith in God. And every time we come together and worship Sunday morning, you know, to our one and a half hour <laughs> service or on Wednesday night or at prayer night or whatever night, hey, when we all come together, you know what? Jesus is not only the object of our worship, but he is also a participant in our worship. And he's singing with us praises to the Father along with us. And he says, I, I, I will tell of your name, Father, to my brothers and to my uh, sisters in praise, making him more and more relatable to us. I love that. Verse 13. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am, I and the children God uh, has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh the blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. Everyone say, that's the devil. Everyone say, Jesus destroyed him. All right. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Uh, you know, I don't know about if I said, hey, we're all going up to heaven right now. There's a bus that's going to come out here. We're all going to, how many would just run out there to the bus? How many would be like, uh, I'm kind of on board, but I'm kind of not on board, Pastor. I kind of don't want to die. I don't want to, you know, right? Uh, uh, you know, you know, we, here's the thing. We live as a people as a fear of death, right? I don't think anybody wants to die, right? If you want to die, come up here. We'll need to pray for you, all right? I don't think anybody anybody wants to die, uh, but but as our captain Jesus, he relates to us as our as our brother. He sings praises with us, and as our savior, Jesus died for us. All right, I love this; it's very relatable, and that we might be delivered from the deathly uh, the death of uh, the fear of death that haunts us. You know, when I was younger, I used to be totally terrified of, of dying. Now I'm a little bit older. You know what? I'm I'm just kind of like you know. Lord, if it's your will, I, I, I'll, I'll do whatever. I trust you through this process. As people are in constant fear of death, or better, better said, death is lurking at any moment, right? You know, sometimes we worry about that. Some of you are younger in here saying, I'm not worried about that. Some of you are older in here going, I'm happy to be awake, Pastor, right now. I'm happy to be alive right now, right? But as people, uh, we are in constant fear of death. Or, or uh, death is lurking at us. I, I'll give you a good example. This last week, I had a friend, pastor friend in Texas, 37 years old, had a massive heart attack. And I'm just blown away that this, this young man, younger than me, is 37, having a heart attack. Now, man, they were able to get him to the hospital, but he, he came really close. had 100% blockage, and they were able to, to get that cleared out. He has to have open heart surgery, but he survived, thank goodness. But his testimony after that was, man, I'm so glad that God loves me and that God sustains me. We don't know, right? We don't know. A matter of fact, you know, um, you know, we, we got a call this morning, and, and um, some of you know this. Some of you don't know this. Tristan, Tristan's mom, who was adopted, she found her, her dad who lives up in, in Franklin, Indiana, well, we found out this morning that he passed away. He's been struggling with some health issues. We got to meet him last year for the first time. Um, and so, but how many know that this life is a vapor? Here one second, we're gone the next. 
And we know that life happens, and we may get sick sometimes, right? And we may get fired, and we may fear the grip of death that is lurking onto us. But you know, Jesus came to set us free from the fear of death. He overcame death. Amen? And so let me, let me put, uh, put this out, 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 of, out of your misery for you. He says, you know, uh, he says this, die. Wait, what? Yeah, die. This is what Jesus says, Matthew 16, 24 through 25. When Jesus told his disciples, if anyone come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. All right, come on, somebody. Verse 25, for whoever would save his life will what? Lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will what? Find it. Oh, some of you know the word really well. I love it. Simply put, if anyone comes after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily. Daily, not once, daily. And, and this is the way to be free, to live a carefree life. And as always, Jesus is right. <laughs> Amen. And man, one day we are we're all uh, we are are gone, right? Our money, our job, our relationships—it doesn't matter. Uh, matter of fact, you know, you could we toil with fear of dying, right? But I promise you, if you go up to a corpse and you ask them, say, "Are you worried about your money and your relationships?" They're not going to say anything to you because they're not concerned about those things, right? Kind of gives us a little bit of perspective. I was I was thinking about this our eternal perspective. I, I've been doing some marriage counseling for a young couple, and 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 we've been talking about focusing uh, having a Christ-centered marriage. How I many know that having a Christ-centered marriage is important? The very first thing we talked about was having a Christ-centered marriage, and I'm like, if you put Jesus in the middle of your marriage, it only gets better and better and better because you get better, they get better, and as you grow closer to the Lord, you grow closer together. Amen. And that's a beautiful thing. But I said this to them. I said, here's the thing. Having a Christ-centered marriage has eternal dividends that are more important than just your 50 or 40 or whatever, 60 years of life with your spouse here on this earth. So realizing that this life is just a blip. It's just a, it's a small little thing in a big piece of time, right, eternity. And honestly, our 80 to 100 years on earth, somebody said, well, I hope I make it to 80 to 100 years uh, on earth. You know what? It is a very short time. Ask anybody who's older, and they're going to say, man, I cannot believe I am as old as I am. Amen. You hear them cackling and laughing because they know it's true, right? <laughs> I can't believe. And one day you just wake up and you go, I can't believe I'm this old now. Right? And you just get older. You just go older and older. But listen, we how many know that we, we've got to put our trust in Jesus? Amen. Verse 16. For surely it is not angels that he helps. So Jesus did not take the nature of angels. So I said this last week, you know, and I'll, I'll reiterate this. Sorry, Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> he is not an angel, and he, he never was. Uh, uh, Michael the archangels. Okay. The, and so, sorry, Mormons. He's not the brother of Lucifer. Jesus is superior to the angels. All right. All right. I'll leave that one alone. Uh, some of you are looking at me like, what in the world? Go back, listen last week. You might get a little bit more out of that. But he helps the offspring of Abraham, verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his, his brothers <laughs> in every respect. So, he took on flesh. He chose to be like us. I don't know. That's incredible. That's incredible to me that the God of the universe came down and took on the same form as us. The seed of Abraham refers to either the physical descendants of Abraham or the spiritual children of Abraham, uh, the ones who uh, place their faith in God. We, uh, thank goodness, because of Jesus Christ, we are grafted into that promise that God gave Abraham. Amen. So look at this. Um, the writer most likely said, said it like this because the original letter was written to the Hebrews. So they would understand, hey, you're talking about Abraham. I know Abraham. <laughs> yeah, I do. I learn about him all the time. And, and, and he's saying Christ came to, uh, uh, to the aid of Abraham's sons and daughters not, uh, and not the angelic host. It was Christ. Matter of fact, if you look at the story of Abraham, you go back. Man, many scholars believe that there's a Christophany there that meets Abraham, a Christophany that meets Jacob. Uh, what is that? That's a picture of Christ in the Old Testament showing up. All right, so I'll leave that one alone, but look at this. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make pro, uh, propitiation for the sins of the people. Ooh, that's good. You don't even realize how good that is. 
Oh, man, that's better than, than 40 white, white gravy on, on, on mashed potatoes and chicken tenders. Come on, somebody. Man, I'm hungry. That sounds good. All right. But he became like us that he might be a merciful priest. And he says, hey, I know what you're going through. I, I know the pain you're in. I, I understand the sorrow that you feel. Everything that I dealt with in this life, I understand what you're going through in your life. I know what it's like to be betrayed. I know what it's like to be left alone. I know what it's like to wonder. I know what it's like to have 12 followers. <laughs> you know, I've only got one at the foot of the cross. Some of you are like, oh, that's my social media. I've got one follower left, right? Whatever. Such sorrow, right? The, the younger generation would, would understand that a lot more, but... Um, and he would say, I was just like you, but I never sinned. But I do understand your struggle. I, I understand where you're coming from. I, I get that. He makes Christ very relatable. You know, I begin to think about this. It, it's funny to me. And, you know, politicians are hilarious to me. You know why? Because they try to be relatable to everybody, right? You see a politician show up. And he's there with a bunch of, like, minor workers or whatever, you know, guys that work the mines. And he's put his hard hat on, and they have to s fix it right because he doesn't know how to put on a hard hat, right? Come on. I'm going to be like the people that I, that I know. Yeah, right. Okay. Your hands have never gotten dirty in your life. All right, listen. Let's, let's just be, and, 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 and they give these speeches, and, and, they, and, you know, they give these speeches to farmers. I understand what it's like to be a farmer. I was raised in the, in the middle of Chicago. No, you don't. You don't know the pains of what it is to be a farmer. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to pick on anybody. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just pointing it out. But the difference between all these career politicians and all this, Jesus is relatable. I've been there. I know what it's like to be tempted. I know what it's like to, to feel the sting of death. I, I understand what you're going through. You know, I, I love that Jesus is re relatable because he took on flesh. He lived it out. Relatable to us. Verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, um, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Oh, he's relatable. Look at this. For because he himself was suffered when he tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You ever, you ever struggle with temptation in your life? You ever think, man, I, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but I'm really tempted to do this. I'll give you a good temptation for me. When I know I shouldn't be eating something sweet at 10 o'clock at night, what do I want to do? Go into the fridge and say, oh, there's something sweet. That is a sweet temptation that I, that I want to have right now. And I know, hey, I don't need that right now. And then turn that turn that to something that's sinful, right? I don't need that right now. Shouldn't even be opening the fridge right now, right? That's the way we are. So Christ's suffering included temptation. He experienced the lure of sin. The devil tried to tempt him three times, but he never surrendered to it. Never surrendered to it. He knows what it's like to be tempted. So he knows how, listen to me, he knows how to assist you to get you out of temptation. James says he makes a way out of temptation for us. He makes a way. So next time you're tempted, pray this prayer. Jesus, I know you're going to make a way. Can you show me what that way is? The Lord's like, get away from the refrigerator, TJ. Go outside and walk down the road. That's what you should be doing. Hebrews chapter 2, it's a, it's a, it's a, is a presentation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It, it paints a powerful picture of the significance of Jesus, the incarnation, his humanity. It highlights the reality of his suffering on, on, on his journey and, and the faithfulness of God to us. Amen. How many, are, how many love that? How many love that? This is what I want to do. Mike.